morning. Uh, our kids, uh, if you are a child and you are, uh, is it, it's pre-K to fourth grade, no, excuse me, pre-K to sixth grade, you can be dismissed right now to kids crew, right this way, you can follow Miss Megan, like Miss Pat's going as well. Our pastor Michael is on vacation, and um, I know that uh, when he's gone and I'm up here, usually I come up with something crazy to say about where he's at, you know, biking in Jakarta or climbing mountains in Peru, and no one ever believes me when I say those things. I don't know why, but today I'm just telling you he's on vacation. I've been instructed by the government to say that and only that. So we'll leave it at that. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. Today, uh, I want to talk about something that I think many of us can relate to. My 32 years of life, I know to some of you, you're thinking that's not much, and some of you, you think that I'm a grandparent already, but in my time of living, I've noticed that getting old and growing older can become very painful, physically painful. Um, some of you know this. Some of you are shaking your head. Yes, I know. And some of you know this much more, much, much more than others today. But uh, it's painful. And I, I notice it really most of the time when I'm sitting in the floor playing with Ellis and Emily and we're down, you know, we were building Legos yesterday or I'm just got my, you know, when they, sometimes they just like to jump on me and crawl over me and the human jungle gym dad thing. And so... I notice when I, when I go to get up, it's a little more painful than it used to be. And it feels like it, each day passes, it gets a little more difficult to just get up out of that position. So, you know, we grown, I, I noticed this at Falls Creek just a couple weeks ago. I've been going for a long time and get home and you're just like, man, this feels a lot worse than it did last year. And I think it's just going to keep going. But our body's grown. They grown a lot. And the older you get, the more they grown and you have a hard time waking up and getting out of bed sometimes, but Paul talks about this groaning in, in 2 Corinthians, and uh, he talks about how Jesus doesn't just change us, but he makes us a new creation, brand new. He, it's a complete new beginning. And Jesus didn't just come to us on earth and die and rise again so that we could be better people with this surface change. He came to make us brand new, and not just make us brand new, but to give us a purpose in our lives, to give us a purpose for now. That's what Jesus does, and that's the hope and the message that we bring to the world. And today I want us to see that Jesus doesn't just make an outside change, he makes us brand new, and he gives us a purpose. And I'd love for us this morning to, to take hold of that, to leave here knowing that I have a purpose in my life that Jesus has redeemed me for and Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 5. Let's read together. We're going to read just the first five verses to start with, but we're going to go all the way through verse 21. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we were still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, 
but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we'll stop there for a moment, and, and just to give us a little bit of context of where, these, where Paul is coming from when he writes these words. Second Corinthians is actually 4 Corinthians. There's four letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. We only have two. The other two have been lost and, and not really sure why, but we know because of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians that there's four letters that he wrote. And this is the final letter that we have from him to the Corinthians. And he writes this letter for a few different reasons, but one of the main themes that Paul has is that he's trying to describe and detail and give meaning to his suffering. The Corinthians know that Paul suffers as, as a preacher, as a missionary, as an apostle. In fact, he suffered in Corinth. There were people that, that rose up in opposition of Paul and were very, very strong in their opposition to him and tried to undermine him as a leader and undermine what he said and how he did it. And the Corinthians know that when Paul left, before he came and after he left, he suffered. So he wanted to define and give meaning to his sufferings to the Corinthians. And likewise, and what Paul is trying to do by doing this is to, is to tell the Corinthians and for us that our sufferings have meanings as well. That what we go through in life isn't meaningless, it's not some sort of pointless bad time that we go through, but God gives us definition, gives us purpose in our sufferings. And through those, God uses our lives to share the gospel. So he starts, he said up to 2 Corinthians 5, he's said this in many different ways. In fact, tonight at 6, I'll be sharing again out of 2 Corinthians 2, and he talks more about that even before we get here. But Paul, in chapter 4, just a few verses before this, he says, actually, if you look in 4, if you just back up a little bit, in verse 16, he says this, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And then, then says, for we know. Paul uses, and he loves to use, the conjunction. Okay, let's go back to English class for a minute. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? You know what I'm saying, anybody? Okay, just making sure we're tracking. Paul uses these words to define, he does this all the time. He uses these words like for and so and therefore to connect these thoughts together. And Paul, he's connecting the idea that these, we suffer, we go through things, but we consider it, he says, a light momentary affliction compared to what is coming before. And then he says, we groan in this body. Like a tent. It's, like, it's not like a, our real house. It is like a tent. And he says it's normal to do that. It's okay for us to not be right with how the world looks. To be upset when we look at the world and think, this isn't how it's supposed to be. In fact, we're going to see as we move on through the verses here that Paul, his, his groaning for the Lord helps define what his life is all about. It's okay for us to not be satisfied here and to look towards our time with the Lord. In fact, it should be that way. Paul is trying to paint the big picture of eternity to us. 
that all of our persecutions, our sickness, the things that we endure in this life, they have a meaning, they have purpose, and they won't rule us. They're not something that, that we should be devastated by. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be upset and that things don't hurt. It's okay to hurt. We should, we should process that. We should endure it. But those things will not rule us. We should not be ruled by the things that come at us in this life, the things that bring us down. They do not have a power over us because we are in a temporary home. When we first got pregnant with Ellis, we decided together as, as a couple that Courtney, we, she was going to stay home and not go back to work, at least for a while. And we're still on that stage, but we decided to do that. And to do that, we had to make some lifestyle changes. We had to sell a home that we built. It was our first you know, house. We'd lived in a couple of apartments before that, but our first house, we built it. We were there. We, we loved it. It was very sad to leave that place. But also, we were living in Ada at the time, and it was difficult to find a house that would meet our budget. But we did find some land in town for a very good price, and we decided, well, we've already built one home. Why not just jump in again and do it again? So we built a, a smaller home that would meet our budget, that would fit what we could do to, to uh, allow Courtney to stay home. However, we made this, this decision after... Uh, we found out that she was pregnant with Ellis, and so there was a time in between that we had to find some sort of temporary housing. And our, a set of our second parents that were, that were like second parents to us lived in a house with a basement apartment, and so we moved from this really nice house into a small basement apartment, basement apartment something that was very difficult to do. It was much smaller, uh, it was pretty, you know, dank, and it got very, when it rained, it would water would come in, and it just was, I mean, it was, it was we had a, a good place to live, but it was a temporary place, and we groaned in that temporary place. There were quite often that we groaned, when it, when it came to rain, and I had to get out the wet vac at one in the morning, I was groaning, longing for, longing for our actual home, which in fact, we built that house, and four months later, we moved to Chickasha, so <laughs> there you go. Um, we just love moving, I guess. But we groaned in, in, that, in that temporary place. And in this life, we groan. And it's okay, because this is temporary. We need to know, we need to understand that this is a temporary place with temporary things, and it is transient. We are transient. Let's continue on, because, again, if you look in verse 6, we see another one of those Lovely conjunctions that Paul loves to use. Look in verse six. So, or yours might say, therefore, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so Paul, he's making this, this conclusion from his previous thought that we know this is temporary, that we have a guarantee from the Holy Spirit that we will see God, that we will have our real home, how it is meant to be. So we have courage. We live Differently, when we change our perspective, when we look at things 
and this life and see it as temporary and we look at the eternal and put the focus and the priority on the eternal, our lives should look differently. We have a different focus. And we should live with courage, knowing these things are not going to rule me. I will not be ruled by the transient things of this world, whether it be money, whether it be hurts, whether it be some sort of American dream, whatever it might be, I will not be ruled by this world. Romans 8.31 says that, what shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? When we, when we begin to see the glory, the shine, the light of what is coming, what is the glory of the Lord, things in this life, they lose their shine. It's kind of like taking uh, jewelry, if I can say that correctly, jewelry, jewelry, and put like a fake something next to a real piece of jewelry, right? Like a, like a fake manufactured lab, you know, created diamond next to a real diamond. There is no comparison. If you look, if you take, you know, a cubic zirconia and set it by itself, it doesn't look too bad, okay? Men, never try this for an engagement ring, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look too bad until you get it next to a real diamond. And you see the real diamond and it just, bring, sparkles, the light hits it and it just twinkles. Cubic zirconias don't twinkle like that. You put things next to each other and you see. You know, I've been overseas a few times. You don't really have to go overseas to buy a fake Rolex. But when you buy a fake Rolex for $20 and it breaks, you know, you're like, hey, I got a Rolex. It says Rolex on it, right? But it's not the real thing, especially when you put it next to, which I've never done that, put it next to a real one. It's not the real thing. Paul is giving the readers a glimpse at what motivated his life. If you read throughout this New Testament, you see Paul all the time talking about forgetting what is behind and what lies ahead. Lies ahead, excuse me. And he, his focus is not on the here and now. He knows that God has something better for him. Romans chapter 8 talks about that. That we know that, 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 the, that the whole creation is groaning like pains from childbirth. And sometimes when a, when a mother is groaning in those pains, it's very painful and it hurts a lot. But you seem to forget that when you hold a new baby in your arms. Paul lived his life like that. And he also knew, if you look in verse 10, he knew that one day he would stand before Jesus and give an account for everything he's done. Now he's not saying here that our good needs to outweigh our bad or we won't go to heaven. That's not at all what he's saying. But he is saying, he's, he's delivering a truth that one day we're going to stand before Jesus and the good and the bad, we're going to give an account to him for that. Jesus mentioned that in the, in the Gospels with the parable of the talents. I don't know what that exactly means. It's hard to really know what that means. But we see that one day Paul, he's, he's going to answer for what he does in this life. It makes me ask myself the question, what, what am I going to say to Jesus? What's he going to say to me? What's that conversation going to be like? one day when I'm before him. Do I worry about the things that really matter when it, when it comes to that conversation? I have to ask myself this question. What really is important to me? What's important to Jesus? We must shift our focus from the temporary to the eternal. Maybe you can relate to this. When I was growing up, you know, I'd do chores or you know, do something maybe to earn, usually a $5 bill from my parents or grandparents. Now, for me, $5 was a magical thing. 
Because I could take this $5 bill and go to a store that sold Ninja Turtle action figures. And for $4.90 something cents, that $5 bill could buy me a Ninja Turtle action figure. I, had gr I delighted greatly in this process. For I loved the Ninja Turtles. Maybe still do a little bit. But I, and I had many of them. But as I grew older and began to want things that were more than $5, say, guitars, I, I thought back to all those Ninja Turtles I bought. And I thought, what if I would have saved those $5 and put them away? How much would I really have now? I don't really know. I didn't want to go through that pain. But we do that a lot, don't we? We don't really think about what's ahead. Especially when we're young, we don't really think about what's going to happen, what we're going to be, what life is all about. But right now, and we lose that so much, we don't think about eternity. We don't think about the kingdom of God and what our place in it is. We get, we get really wrapped up in the here and now. And I'm, I'm preaching to the choir because I get wrapped up right along with you. Because life isn't free. We've got we've to work. We've got to make money. We have to, to support families and pay mortgages and bills. And, and uh, it's just, life is life. And we, get, we, we let it consume us. But Paul never did that. And he's, he is urging the Corinthians to not do that either. But let's look on in verse 11. Because we see now, I mean, we see the motivation for Paul. We see the perspective that he has what he's trying to impart to the Corinthians, what to us today. But then we see now that his motivation led him to action. Verse 11. Therefore, there it is again. So he just keeps on going. Therefore, all of what he said before leads to this. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what about is in the heart. For if we, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but also for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is a lot there. But what Paul is doing, first he's saying, therefore, we persuade others. Because of this motivation in my life, because we know that this is temporary, 
we persuade others to believe and live the same. Then he kind of takes a little bit of a detraction and talks about his critics again, saying that we're not saying this to, to make some name, but we're giving you the reason why we do this so that when people come against us and try to, to say that we're in the wrong, that you know that what we're doing is right. Because they believe that Jesus died and was raised again, not just to make us better people, but to give us a purpose so that we might live for him. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And we, we had baptism this morning. It's a perfect picture of that. A new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The picture of baptism and the reason that we believe that, that, that one should be immersed underwater is because it's a picture of the old life being buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in a new life. A new creation. So this morning, if you're here, if you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, if you've never committed your life to following him, Jesus doesn't just give you a facelift. He doesn't just make you a better person. It's a new creation, a new beginning. When we were in China talking to the Chinese people about this, it blew their mind. Because in China, you're so locked into your way of life. Because the way a communism has run their country they have little or no way to move out of who they are and what they're going to become. India is the same way with a caste system. You're born into a certain lifestyle, a certain type of family, a certain level of economics, and there's no way out. Messages like these make sense to these people, and, and it just it takes them back. Jesus makes us a new creation. Um, you may have heard of the... the program Photoshop. It's a computer program, if you don't know, that people use to make pictures look better, to put it simply. And if you go down to a store today and you look at the magazine rack, then you will see beautiful people on the front of a magazine, right? And, and if you're like me, you think, I can never look that good. Well, really, they can't either, because a Photoshop what it does is it takes people and it, it, it takes away every imperfection anywhere. In fact, it, it is such a powerful program that they can literally make me smaller and make everything about me look different. They can change the color of my hair, which most people want to do anyway, and they can like make, make my muscles a lot bigger, which I don't know why they would want to do that because they're obviously. So uh, they can do so much. And if you go on YouTube, you can see they have these videos where it shows the changes that are made. And over like six hours of work, they've sped it up to 90 seconds. And you can see them take uh, someone and make them completely different. That's not what Jesus does. That's fake. That's a front. That's a facade. It's deceptive. And so many ways of life that we have, so many beliefs in the world, and many people who attend church think that Going to church and being a, being a Christian is about being a better person, but all it is is, is dressing up, is changing the outside. Jesus makes a whole new creation. He makes us brand new, and he gives us a purpose. And if you look in the last few verses we read, it said that God gives us, entrusting to us, the ministry of reconciliation. 
Not only does Jesus save us, but he gives us, he entrusts us the ministry of reconciliation. Not just pastors, not just people that work at church, but all of us who are made new by Christ are given a purpose to tell the world about what he does for us. We are ambassadors. We are the ones who act on behalf of God in the world. He's given us that. He's he's entrusted us with acting on behalf of him. When you have an ambassador who works at the UN or who travels the world, they speak on behalf of our country. And that sometimes is good and sometimes it's bad. Sometimes ambassadors make really bad mistakes. But God entrusts us to be his ambassador. We need to recognize that we are not just saved to sit in a pew or just attending church is all there is, but we have been given the ministry entrusted by God. That may be a little bit intimidating, but it's a great, great thing because that's what God, that's how he feels about us. He believes in us. The Holy Spirit helps us do this. He makes us into who we need to be. So today, as we see this truth, as we see what Paul is trying to say, this is the motivation behind what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We have two responses. Today, if you're here and you are a Christ follower, if you've given your heart and life to Jesus, your response needs to be, am I going to live for the here and now, for the temporary, for the things of this world? Or will I live for Christ, live my life for him, and look towards the eternal? Change my point of view, change my perspective. Live a life that is for Jesus. Will I be an ambassador for him? That is what Jesus has called us to do. Today you may be here and you haven't given your heart and life to Jesus. Maybe you've just gone to church for a long time and and maybe you've just tried to be a good person. Maybe this is your first time to ever be here. Today, Jesus has died and he rose again for you. And not just to let you go to heaven one day, but to give you a new purpose, a new creation, a new beginning. The old is gone and the new has come. It's not just a facelift. Jesus wants to make you brand new. And maybe today you're yearning for that. Maybe you know deep down inside, I need to be brand new. God is what I've been looking for. So we're, we're gonna take a few moments, we're gonna pray, and we're gonna offer up the altar for you to spend some time to respond to the Lord. I'll be down front. Maybe you wanna grab someone and take them down with you, or maybe you wanna come see me to talk about that, but you have a chance to respond to how God is speaking to you. Maybe you'd like to take, there's, there's cards in the, in the pew pocket in front of you with, that are for guests that you can fill out to give us your information so they can contact you, but also on the back and the bottom of it, there, there's a place to put, this is what God's dealing with me right now. This is, this, this is the decision I wanna make. Would you contact me? We'll do that too. And you can put that in the offering plate in just a little bit. But don't leave today and be the same. Because here's the truth. The here and now, as important as we think all this stuff is, it's stuff. It's just stuff. 
and it leaves us empty. We're never satisfied. And it's fake jewelry compared to the glory to the shine that is what the Lord has for us. So let's bow our heads. I'm gonna ask you just to bow your heads and pray with me for a moment as we prepare to have this time of response. And I'd like for you for a moment just to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what should my response be? What are, what are you calling me to do? Is God calling you to give your life to him, to give your life to Jesus? Maybe you've done that, and maybe Jesus is calling you to go all in, to give everything you have to follow him. Maybe you feel the groan and the burden of being in this life. time to let go. It's time to be unburdened. Jesus said in the Gospels that come to me, all you who are heavy laden, who are burdened, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it's the truth. He takes the things that don't matter, the things that weigh us down off of us and gives us a purpose that, that we have been longing for. So Father, today we pray, I ask that you would move in our hearts, move in our lives, and God, that you would not let us to stay still if you are calling us. So Father, break our hearts, break our pride down, Holy Spirit, move among us. In your name, amen.